You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Good morning, good morning. It's 7.30, it's Sunday, it's a lovely day and it must be time for The Gardening Show on 3CR. My name is A.B. Bishop and uh, we've got a full studio here today so um, get ready for lots of fun and games, all about plants of course. Uh, I would like to welcome um, some friends which have uh, been on the show many, many times and that is Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill Nursery and uh, Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery and someone who's slightly newer to the airways but not too new now. You're becoming an old hand and that's Michaela Hamilton from Karanga. Welcome everyone. Thank you. Good morning. Lovely to see you and we all had a nice trip in. Easy. Easy. Easy trips in. Very good. 14 minutes, a lot faster than my trip from Lillydale last time. Yes, Michaela has... Michaela has moved from, uh, where were you before? I was in Lilydale near Yarra Valley. Okay. Uh, yep. Which was a very long trip into the studio. And now it was a nice, as I said before, 14 minutes. Beautiful. Yeah. Much quicker, but, but much longer to get to work. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. My, <laughs> my commute to work is much, much longer now, but worth it because I love my job. Yeah. 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 And you are going against the traffic a bit, aren't you? I am going against the traffic. You know, I usually put on a podcast generally yep. related to plants Lovely. as I'm driving along. So... It's, it's all right. Very good, yeah. It, the podcasts are good, I have to say. They really take your mind off it. Do you guys listen to podcasts at all in the car? No, it's much too modern. <laughs> <laughs> you put a tape in the, in the cassette, do you? Right. Yeah, listen to that. No, I'm a Radio National guy. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, there's always something good on there. Always. Yeah, yeah, always something very interesting. And you get to your destination, you're like, I cannot get out of the car That's yet because right. yeah. I'm still listening. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, very good. So, um Jeremy, how's things at Cloud Hill? I'm pretty well. It's, it's been an interesting summer, I suppose. <laughs> Quite dry, actually, considering the rest of Australia seems to have been flooded. Um, but um, the rain fell just when we needed it, so the road verges have stayed green, the garden has stayed green, and so it's uh, it's been pretty good, really. Uh, just slightly nerve-wracking. Um, In terms of? Yeah, well, I prefer wet seasons to dry seasons. When they say that we've got a La Nina and it's going to be wet and it turns out to be dry, you think, 
This is unfair. <laughs> it was weird, wasn't it? Because I, I like to sort of hop onto the um, Bureau of Meteorology before I come on the show just to see what's been going on. And I was like, oh, yeah, we've had a, um, had a pretty wet summer, especially at the start. And then I hop on and it's like, oh, drier than average for the Greater Melbourne area. <laughs> okay, so don't assume anything. But dry is normal at this time of the year. Uh, yes, on, on the whole. Yeah. yeah. We've just had three wet summers, so we're a bit spoiled. Yeah, well, last summer, we, we were planting in February last summer, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it was raining every week, and it was just delicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yes, this summer, it's um, an average summer, I suppose. Yeah, and, and do you see a change in the plants in the garden in, in terms of, I suppose, over the years, how they're responding to the different weather and dry summers, wet summers, etc. Like, do you actually, can you walk around the garden and, and, and appreciate that they're doing different things other than the, what they would usually do, maybe? Um, I, 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 there was a um, famous rhododendron nursery not far from us doing a thousand, two thousand varieties and species. Uh, um, 25, 30 years ago, and I'm thinking now about half of those are almost impossible to grow, mm. and yet mm. they were being sold 30 years ago. It's a, that, that, that's an extraordinary thought. Mm. Um, yeah, things are changing, and and um, you 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 well, you're walking on eggshells a little bit uh, as soon as we start thinking about um, how the climate's affecting us. Yeah. Yeah. So there's nothing in the garden at the moment that you sort of think um, of. Oh, it's interesting. Kind of I, I, yeah. I look. Um, fortunately, most of our plants. You see, I started off in a very hot, dry part of Australia, mm. and so I'm. I'm we I'm, I'm fairly yes, yeah. <laughs> north of Perth in yep. Western Australia, and and so add several degrees to whatever the Perth temperatures are, and. The, by golly, they've been amazing in the last couple of summers. Yeah. Um, so I'm very familiar with plants suited to those conditions, and we grow quite a few of them. And then thinking of the plants that we were working with when we be, um, began making the gardens out of the old Warwich plantings at, at Alinda, um well, a few of those were well. They were, well, they were predominantly cool climate, I suppose. But on the other hand, reasonably adaptable cool climate climate plants. Um, the, the 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 most important of our rhododendrons, for instance, are arboreums, which are fairly heat tolerant, mm-hmm. and so they they've been managing these summers quite well. Yeah. I suppose the plants that I would worry about over the coming years would be the Enchianthus from Japan. Oh, my God, I don't even know what that uh, is. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever we have these uh, people who are experts in perennials and exotics, three-quarters of the plant names go whoosh, flying over my head. Yeah. Uh, well, the problem with these, uh, the Enchianthus, uh, the, the, the really spectacular ones we have, we, we have um, Enchianthus perillatus, we have three of these things, which... Um, oh, that old thing. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, the, the problem with it is that uh, Teddy Woolrich got these in from the Yokohama nursery back in the 20s. So these are, these are truly significant plants yep. now. They're all 100 years old. Oh. Um, 
and uh, they're famous for their little bell, the creamy bell flowers in spring. But more importantly, their autumn colour. They have the most dramatic autumn colour of mm-hmm. just about any plant you can imagine. It's red, isn't it? It's crimson red, oh. and it holds for quite a long time. Mm. It's just they're unearthly plants, um, and that's why. Teddy got them in from Japan a hundred years back, and then discovered the only place they would grow in Australia is on top of Mount Tantadong pretty well. <laughs> and as soon as they were off the mountain, they wouldn't grow. So um, most of the, uh, the the plants in Australia of Enchianthus perillatus are growing in Cloud Hill. Okay, there's, there's a few others scattered mm. around in old gardens. I have a friend with a big one in Mombolk. In Monbolk, in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, doing reasonably yeah. well in Monbolk. Yep, it's, it is. <laughs> it's so this is climate sensitive. This particular plant. There are a few other Enchianthus which are more adaptable. Mm-hmm. But uh, how do you spell that? E N K I A N T H U S. The common one, Enchianthus campanulatus, yep. you see all over Japan as a hedging plant. Oh, yeah. Ah, uh, yes, we have one of those, uh, also from Yokohama. And that one is easier to grow mm-hmm. and, and easier to propagate too. Hmm. I'm just, yeah, that, I'm just showing oh, a photo to Michaela because neither she <laughs> yeah, or I would have yeah. any idea. Okay. Yeah, so, Gorgeous. Uh, so that, that's... So in the entire garden, that's the one plant I worry about, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, I, we can manage with um, uh, jet, uh, jettisoning uh, a few of the others, but uh, the beech, well, um, well, they grow reasonably well through Melbourne, so they'll tolerate some degrees change in the climate. Um, and the, our big ones have got their roots a long way down, and I, I imagine they have their roots into the water table. Mm. Um, and, for instance, in 2009, they came through that season mm-hmm. without dropping any leaves. So I'm fairly mm-hmm. confident that um, they, they, they can tolerate um, whatever nature will throw at them. But it all depends. I mean, there's this awful story in this last few days of a heat wave in Antarctica. And I mm-hmm. don't know if anyone's paying attention to this uh, story, but... But the figures were almost beyond belief, uh, 40 degrees above average yeah. in a big area of Antarctica. And running water right, yeah, right in the centre of it. And, and, and yeah. I mean, Scary but, stuff. But, but, yes, and, um, but the thing is the temperatures were still below zero, but they're meant to be minus 40, and then they got up to around about zero. Uh, mm. And 40 degrees difference, wow, if that happened... If a heat wave like that anchored itself over an Australian city for mm. a week or so, mm. 40 degrees, uh, you just don't want to think about yeah, it. Yeah, 40 because, degrees on top of what's already yeah, there. Because yeah, because yeah. it would mean mass deaths, actually. Mm. It would mean devastation, mass deaths. Mm. The, the electricity system wouldn't cope. Everything would collapse. Yeah. Yeah. And there'd be... Not too many people left at the yeah. end of it. It's that serious. Mm. It, it, it's actually happened in the last two weeks. Wow. And mm. I mean, especially in our industry, climate change is such a uh, core problem for all of us in all parts of it, you know, being a, being a gardener and um, also being a nursery worker and owning your own business and everything. Like, we rely really heavily on water um, and what the climate's doing. So it is, a, it is really scary. It is mm. quite alarming, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to know just what's going to happen. I, I'm, I half suspect we, we might even see an increase in rainfall um, if if um, 
if we are subject to more tropical weather, mm. it's it's it's. I think everyone's guessing. Everyone but, is, but, is really but guessing. But the problem yeah. is, it's become unpredictable. But I mean, also, and, and that makes it so difficult, both well, for gardeners to mm. to some degree, but also for people farming. Um, it's going to be much more difficult producing food. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, like, I think we're all <clears throat> pretty lucky in the Mount Dandenong Ranges with the soil and the amount of rainfall that we get up there as well. Even though, as you said, it is it is declining. Yep. Yeah. The soil is critical. Mm. It, it's it's extraordinary soil. The, the volcanic soil will is free draining and yet at the same time holds moisture, and that's really unusual. That's really unusual. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was brought up on volcanic soil in New Zealand, and in the summer it was dry, mm. and no guts. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had uh, we were doing some building work a, a few years back, and we had 100 mil of rain, and then we had to dig footings for a building. The following day, we had 100 mils of rain, four inches in the old scale of rain, in 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 a, in 15, 18 hours. So just constant heavy rain. Yeah. Hmm. And the next day. They dug the footings and the digging was perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. uh, most Australian soils, you'd have to wait six weeks. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's one of the joys of the, of the Dandenongs and, and, and um, that little bit of extra rainfall and the slightly cooler temperatures and a little bit more humidity in the soil. So that all helps. Mm. Mm. It, it is tricky because a lot of the botanic gardens are focusing on dry land plants in a way and plants that are going to cope with those dry conditions and then ironically look what happens in Lismore. Uh, so it's not, I suppose, specifically about dry weather, it's about the intensity of the weather that we're getting, whether that be dry or wet. Mm. Well, I mean, we had that massive storm that ripped through the Mount Dandenong Ranges <clears throat> a few months ago. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. And that, that was a very storm. mysterious storm too because mm-hmm. that, that was a weather event that really shouldn't have happened. It was mm. kind of an East Coast low event. Oh, that's but, right, but, yeah. But yeah, the beginning of winter winds, at, yeah. at, mm. at, at a time when East Coast lows shouldn't occur. Mm. And we had um, pretty well cyclonic winds. So they, they were... You know, uh, more or less cyclonic winds for 14 hours on top of a lot of rain the previous few days. And yeah, so we're still cleaning up, and that, that, that clean up will take years. Mm, mm. And are the, um, like the SES and the uh, tree cleaning team still sort of around the Dandenongs, yep. cleaning up all the. Yep, there's the still, those, still trucks moving out with yeah. lots of timber. Yeah. Yep. So there's mm. still. Um, they, they, they moved a lot of the easily accessible um, timber, um, but there's still timber deep in the forest everywhere. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, crazy. The, the upside is that the hills is awash with wood chip. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Free yeah. mulch everywhere. Yeah. What, what about, are they chopping wood and leaving it for firewood? Uh, in yep. some cases. Yep. Yeah, that's handy, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, so you can... If you if you live up that way, you can go and fill your trailer or car load, and yep. yeah. Well, I mean, it gets very cold up there, so you're going to need it. Yeah, we're just in the stages of ordering our wood. Thought we'd get in early because uh, I think there was a bit of a um, bit of a dearth last year towards the end of winter. It was a bit hard to get hold of timber, okay. burning timber. So yeah. it's never been an issue. <laughs> <laughs> Not up there. I mean, we've got wood on the property, and if something is new that falls, uh, well, Ray will certainly chop it up but Mm -hmm. uh yeah obviously we can't take anything that's been down for a while Mm. just 
Leave it for habitat. My issue this time of the year at Long Acres is, is that it's the rut and the deer are smashing everything. Mm. They have been in those smashed two dissector maples, completely smashed them. They've, there's another upright maple, Siriu, which has been in the ground for about 10 years. It's just starting to make its presence felt. Smashed and ring-barked. Yeah. Um, hydrangeas, half a dozen of them. Yeah. And then they get into the dwarf conifers in the rock garden, which, you know, these things take years. Mm. Yeah, smashed overnight. Formiums, they kill them. It's, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? The, the, oh, I, I have a theory that the, uh, what, what Australia lacks is megafauna and deer are megafauna, but by golly, that's something we do not need. Yeah. They are so, so damaging. I mean, it's, it's one of those curious things that uh, you know, we, uh, we have parks in our garden, uh, in our cities today, and, but, but that term was originally a term of abuse mm. because the park was a deer park in the old days, going back about seven or 800 years. And, you know, and deer parks were hunting reserves uh, that the big houses all had and if the royal family arrives well you have to race out and and and, and round up two or three deer for the for the uh, for the feasting that would go on so everyone uh, every big house had its deer park but they kept a fair distance from the house because they were a mess mm. they always were a mess because deers are such messy creatures mm. so they are they ring back trees everywhere and yeah. And um, I I understand Victoria has some six million deer now. Some Some, amazing figure. Some crazy amount. Yeah. 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 How did this happen? I mean, and we've got various, uh, yeah, deer around the country. I think the entire country is actually a deer park at the moment. I think also another issue is the rabbits as Mm. well. Like even as – because, I mean – Karanga Native Nursery, where I work, we grow a lot of our own stock as well. Mm. And one of the issues that we do face is uh, wallabies, rabbits, munching on everything. Yeah. Like, I'll go into the nursery and some days there'll be, like, you know, half a dozen stock eaten. And pots knocked but over. And pots knocked a, over. Yeah. And it's just like they've been having a party in yeah. here Overnight. last night, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. From a gardener's point of view, though, I mean, a rabbit, I mean, I've been dealing with rabbits forever. Mm. And you can kind of work around them. But deer... On so many levels, deer it's something are super else. destructive. Yeah, yeah, I mean, having a herd of large herbivores grazing in your garden all night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, 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 uh, I'd, I'd hardly seen a deer in the Dandenongs up until, what, about 10 years That's ago? That's right, yeah. Uh, and in the last five years, mm. the numbers have exploding, and, it, and, it's, and it's one of those things that um, every year, and, it, and the... Uh, there's an exponential curve involved here until they reach uh, population density, which forces them further out. So mm. they, their population can build up a long way from what it is right now. Mm. And well, even I, now, the damage they're doing is is, is serious, yeah. very serious. I, and and, in, and you know, in the gardens, I mean, it's, it's a luxury problem. But what they're doing to the forests yep. is something Absolutely. else. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, I was saying before, like I grew up in the Mount Dandenong Ranges, so I know the area. Pretty Pretty well, mm. and I do enjoy hiking through there. And I met, I was hiking up near Thousand Steps, sort of area, and it's mm. a pretty populated area. Like mm. lots of hikers go there. It's pretty busy, and I saw deer there, and mm-hmm. I was so surprised. I'd actually never seen one 
up in the hills whilst hiking before. So I've seen big herds of them in that grassland around Thousands. Yeah, yeah that's where I saw them. Yeah. Yeah. You don't yeah. really realise how big and majestic they are until you're yeah. seeing them live <laughs> oh, and they're thundering past you like, well, I'm just going to pop out of the way here and let you go past. They're mm. breathtakingly yeah. beautiful. Yeah. yeah, they're so cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, cute but dangerous. Yeah, yeah. and, and it, yeah, on, on, on so many levels. And, Craig, I was reading your um, the story that you're in in the March issue of Gardening Australia magazine, which, as you say, was about long acres. For mm. people who don't know, that's uh, Arthur Streeton's um, ho- ex-home and, mm-hmm. and garden. And I was really lamenting and feel, feeling sorry for you in terms of the deer. Like, I can just hear your pain coming through the pages. It, it is so limiting yep. as to what you can grow. Yeah. So limiting, and everything has to be fenced. So if I plant a shrub, you know, that's a five-minute operation. It becomes a half-hour operation because I've got to put the fence around it. Yeah, yeah, very, very different. Very time-consuming and very limiting. Mm. Yeah, so there's no culling program in the Dandenongs? I wish. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it could be dealt with with a beat. I mean, you're not talking about big areas of of forests. You could have, you know, a dozen guys going through with pots. Mm. driving them out into the open country and dealing with them. Yeah, there's, mm. a, there's a bit of a culling program, sort of Christmas Hills and Bend of Islands area where I am. Luckily, we, we've rarely seen the deer. We're sort of on a like a mini peninsula exactly where our ha- house is. Um, but further up in Bend of Islands, they're certainly there. And, yeah, it was council-run culling program. Mm. But, I mean, the operation is so... Um, sort of technical and administrative in in some regards. There's there's a lot of hoops for people to jump, which, of course, on one hand is fantastic because Mm. no one's going to get hurt and and the dead animals are going to be dealt with. But on the other hand, uh, it just makes the process really sort of elongated, I suppose, when it doesn't have to be. Mm. Mm. And then you have the Bambi Brigade. (laughs) <laughs> who think they're cute and should should be allowed to exist yeah, the, well, despite the, the fact that they destroy all our waterways. Yeah, they, they destroy so much yeah. uh, from, from the ground where they make their wallows, they tromp the soil down and they um, destruct frog habitat and therefore yeah. that next layer of, of birds, etc., are affected. So, yeah, right from the ground down... Um, and up they uh, are a real nuisance and menace. And terrestrial yeah. orchids, they love them. Oh, do they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're wiping them out. I've read lists of uh, deer-proof plants uh, put together by Americans, and they're very, very short lists. They're you know, <laughs> around about 30, 40 plants altogether, you know, from trees all the way down to to the, the smallest ground cover. There's virtually Virtually nothing they won't tackle. But those lists are irrelevant here, Jeremy, because on those lists, Cuba, for example, is always top of the list. Well, no, they defoliate a Cuba here. Mm. Well, it's quite, quite often in the nursery, like I'll have a lot of customers ask me quite often, you know, can you recommend any plants that are deer-proof, that are rabbit-proof? And it's really hard to yeah. give yeah. a definite There's, answer, yeah. like, you know, yeah. Generally, like I kind of suggest something really prickly that doesn't, you know, seem that appealing. But for some, uh, it's still still, <laughs> still appealing to them. But um, 
yeah, I would like to know more about that. And different animals in different areas develop a, t- a taste. That's right. So yeah, that's true. possums in one suburb may not be interested in apple foliage, but mm. in another suburb they're completely decimating. It d- depends what's around and it's very And different, different deer populations will eat different things. So, for example, I work or did work for a long time at Folly Farm and, and they never touch the cyclamen there, but at long acres they graze them to the ground. Yeah. 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 Do any of you use the um, the feral recording app? No, I haven't heard of that. What what is it's, it? It's um it's an app that it's called Feral Scan. It's Australia wide, and you can record uh, the, any of the pests that are around Australia, including. Uh, deer, rabbits, uh, wild dogs where they are, uh, wild pigs, mm. uh, fish, the cane toad, etc. And what that does is give uh, people who need to know uh, the knowledge of what's out there and, mm-hmm. and where the animals are moving. And you can upload a photo if if you can manage to take a photo of whatever it is. Um, driving along Skyline Road through Christmas Hills, there's deer there all the time and mm. always stopping taking photos and yeah. sending that in. That's good. Yeah. I mean, generally, so I'm qualified in land management and conservation and mm-hmm. one of the key things um, I learned about during that is, you know, the management plans of different parks and national parks and things and pest management is always a really key part that's integrated into that management plan so I think that you know in the Mount Dandenong ranges I would assume that there would be some kind of management plan targeted at those pests I'm sure but um yeah it is something that we definitely need to get on top of and I think the ranges I mean really you're fighting a losing battle yeah absolutely I mean it's a lot of area to cover yeah Mm. see I disagree I think it's actually quite small I mean, if, if you look at the Victorian high country, then you're dealing with a big area. Mm. But the Dandenong Ranges, the area of forest where these things go during the day, is really quite small. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, yeah. I, it could be dealt with. could I, be dealt with quite easily, rab- I would have thought. Rabbit's a tricky one. But Rabbit's the, the, not. The deer, yeah. yeah, the yeah. deer could be dealt with. It just needs a bit of... Um, determination mm-hmm. and the trouble is as soon as you get rid of one lot there's just more coming in but yeah. i mean you have they, to start somewhere don't you yeah mm. it, it needs a constant uh, effort but the deer have been there for a long time i mean i remember seeing them at the aqueduct in sylvan mm. in the 80s but it, it's the build of numbers and we've got to the point now where there are so many that that each year it increases enormously. Yeah. Mm. And I think that you could deal with that. You could bring the, the numbers right back down mm. again. Make it, make it a bit more sustainable. Yep. All right, well, I should actually get to... We've only got a couple of commun- community announcements this morning. Uh, the first is the uh, Geelong School of Bot- Botanical Art, which is managed by the Friends of Geelong Botanic Gardens. They have an exhibition going at the moment called Inspired by Nature 7, and it um, is running until the 1st of April, so not not much longer to go. Um, so, yeah, 7th Biennial Inspired by Nature exhibition uh, at which 70 artworks by 21 student, students and their tutors are featured. It's at the Exhibition Gallery, Deakin University, Waterfront Campus, Western Beach Road in Geelong, and runs from Tuesday to Saturday. Um, Many of the artists have received awards and are represented in botanical art collections nationally and internationally, and there are also many beginner artists who are being featured. 
There's an eclectic range of subjects, all inspired by nature, and nature's detail is depicted in watercolour or gouache paintings or graphite drawings. There is something for everyone who loves the world of art and plants. So if you haven't had the chance to get down there, um, I'm sure that would be fantastic if you're into botanical art. And just the, uh, we've got a subscriber run on at the moment for March. So um, for the gardening show, we do have a few prizes. If you subscribe, you can go in the draw to win a prize pack. One has got a Seasol garden calendar for 2022. So a few months in. Seasol uh, Earth Care Natural Pyrethrum Insect Spray, Power Feed Plant Food, All Purpose and Power Feed Plant Food Lawn Feed and Seasol Gardener Soap. And there's also a prize pack too. Um, so anyone who subscribes to The Gardening Show in March will go in the running to win one of these packs. You can subscribe by calling the station on 9419 8377 or go to the website 3CR, just Google it, you'll find it. And be sure to select The Gardening Show as your favourite programme and you'll go in the running to win one of the packs. And the uh, subscription rates are 35 unwaged, 75 waged and 150 for an organisation. Uh, so I should mention that you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm A.B. Bishop and with me in the studio is Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery, Michaela Hamilton from Karanga Nursery and Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill. So a lot of nurseries represented this morning. Mm-hmm. Yes. Fantastic. So, um, oh, I should call out the number in case anyone wants to ring in. Uh, the number is 9419 0155 that's to talk to us on air if you want to text us you can text on 0488 809 and if you want to email us for answering questions for next week because uh, I don't have access to email here it's gardening at 3cr.org.au so, Michaela, let's talk Mifkis. Yes, we're super excited. We're excited. Um, so, we're sharing a store with the Australian Plant Society. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, one of their main aims is to, you know, educate everyone on how amazing Australian native plants are. So, we've agreed to supply all the plants for the stand. So, we'll be in the Carlton Exhibition Building. So I was put in charge of selecting all the plants. So I decided to uh, do different climatic zones. So I've oh, done... Good. So not just eucalypts then? No, <laughs> I'm a bit biased with my eucalypts. Um, but no, so I've done different climatic zones. So I've done, you know, like alpine, arid, um, wetlands. Um, and just to kind of showcase the diversity of Australian native plants, the colours, the textures... Um, And just to get people really excited about it. Um, We've also recently gone through a bit of a rebrand. So um, that's been super exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, And what does that mean for the nursery, do you think? um, I mean, look, the way it runs and our essential core values haven't changed at all. It was Mm -hmm. more so like, you know, we've just got a few different, we've got different signage now, really big signs. So you definitely don't miss us, um, which has been really great. And I think one of our main sort of messages now that we've got is educate inspire celebrate Mm -hmm. which is kind of what we're going with which is so true because I mean you know one of one of my personal favorite parts of my job is uh teaching people about the plants Mm -hmm. and educating them because people love to learn um and especially when you're really excited about 
Australian native plants, like it's a little bit of a hub where you can kind of explore that. Um, it's always good to inspire people. Um, there's so much diversity and things you can do with your garden. So, yeah, we've been really excited about that rebrand and I think at Mifkis we'll be really kind of showing that off. And, yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, you know, the last time I was at Mifkis was just before COVID and when I was there I was working with um, Landscaping Victoria mm-hmm. at their stand. So I was meeting a few different landscape designers and a few other people in the industry and I think one of my favourite parts about Mifkis is it's a bit of a hub for the horticulture industry and you meet so many inspiring people and like-minded people and that's probably one of my favourite parts about it. You just get to nerd out about plants with everyone for like seven days. So yeah, so we start uh, setting up tomorrow Mm -hmm. um, and then yeah, the show starts on Wednesday and goes through until Sunday. Yeah. So, I mean, come up to our stall. We're happy to answer some questions that you have about Australian native plants. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. And we, so you'll be on the stand and I'll, people can come and talk to you about the plants? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I'll be on the stand the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll also be there with some other colleagues who are exceptionally knowledgeable. Um, so, yeah, we'll, it'll, yeah, come ask me as many questions as you like. I obviously love to talk about plants, so... Yeah, yeah. We for people that may not know, uh, we are talking about the uh, International Melbourne Flower and Garden Show, which is uh, excitedly starting this week after um, a slight hiatus last year. So I think everyone's going to be really raring to go. Um, so, uh, do you know how many plants that you're putting on the stand? Well, um, I got a little bit carried away, I think. I think there's roughly about 500 plants okay, that I've selected. Okay, so, so I think, yeah, so I think for about each zone, I've selected about 50 plants or so. So mm-hmm. I've really, in each zone, I've included like ground covers, grasses, small shrubs, large shrubs, trees. So there's a, there's going to be something for every garden there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if someone came up to me and they're like, you know, um, my garden's really dry, it's full sun, I might mm-hmm. say, hey, let's let's have a look at the arid table and see what you like there. And kind of it's good to show people what you can do, like that you can still add colour, you can enhance a space and a small space too. So like obviously everyone's gardens are getting a lot smaller now, so I kind of want to really demonstrate to people all the creative things you can do with that. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and the different sort of aesthetics you can achieve. Yeah, fabulous. And I know um, Dallas Bolton, who's with the APS, she's an absolute gun in terms of getting this organised, isn't she? Yes, she's been a she's been absolutely amazing. Yeah, she's been a, like... She's been a huge help, yeah. yeah she's very energetic. So yeah. I, I'm looking forward to going. I'll be on the um, stand, the Gardening Australia stand, because that's mm. one of my uh, horticultural hats at the moment, is hort consultant at Gardening Australia Mag. And so I'll be on the stand there. Otherwise, I'll be wandering out. I know our friend Chloe Thompson, not Chloe yes. Foster, who hosts here, but Chloe Thompson, who's sometimes guest on the show. She's uh, been announced as um, the – she will be hosting the main stage. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, great. Introducing good to everyone. See yes, so that, that should be pretty good. But um, And also I know uh, Jane Tonkin is going to be in there. So oh, Tonkin's, fantastic. So Tonkin's Bulbs. Uh, will yep. be there. So she was. I talked to her last week, and she was running around like a mad thing, getting ready. Mm. Uh, so it should be. Um, I yeah. think it's going to be really busy. I was going to say we're actually doing a talk on stage as well with Australian Plant Society. Mm-hmm. I think on Wednesday oh, we're going to get up there and have a chat and just yep. yeah educate people a bit on Australian native plants and Beautiful. also a little bit about Karenga as well. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So either Craig, Jeremy, you ever done the Mifkis thing? Had a stand? Done anything crazy <laughs> a few, there? Many years ago. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
kept kept me busy for about six months. And, <laughs> and, and was we, that we, like uh, a Cloud Hill stand? Um, well, we we supplied the plants. We worked in with two or three other people, including Ted Seckham, who does the big ceramics. So uh, they dominated the uh, display and. Um, um, the, 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 I'm trying to think what year that was. It's back in the 90s, uh, around about the millennium. Um, and um, uh, there was a lot of competition that year, and we didn't quite win the win the gong, despite all Ted's pieces. <laughs> they are very handsome maples. Um, and we had someone who was an interior designer who who based it all on a on a fabric design, and so that, that was the theme for the whole thing. Uh, it was interesting, uh, exhausting, um, and I take my hat off to people who, who do these things year after year after year. Totally. So <laughs> yeah. much work. Hard work. Well, I mean, this is yeah, kind well. of like one of our first sort of years having a little bit of something to do with it, so we've kind of dipped our toe in it a bit. Yeah. So it is a little bit stressful, but it's really, really fun to create. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And of course, diggers are always there. So, yes. will Cloud Hill be sort of represented uh, well, through diggers? diggers are, well, well, via diggers, yes. Diggers are, um, um, are doing, um, uh, they, they're working in with a gentleman who does the. Um, um, the the big pots now I'm I'm I'm, th- I'm thinking a uh, thing here Yost Barker and uh, his um, yep. amazing um, edible uh, the edible range, house yeah. uh, yep. affair at Federation Square yep. um, uh, which we went to see a few weeks ago actually and and Yost was actually lecturing that day and and um, so we. Um, it's there for another four weeks. Okay. So I'll, I'll just cover so, this for anyone who hasn't it. seen it. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. it's a Federation Square, but on the edge of the square, uh, just above the Yarra, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a basically it's an experimental house, uh, a recycling house, but also a sustainable house with a whole series of systems to. Uh, well, in theory, you could virtually live in this place without ever stepping out because uh, it's it's a um, it has balconies covered in in um, barrels, uh, wicking barrels, mm-hmm. and these, that's what I was trying to get my head around a moment ago. Wicking barrels, <laughs> which is what diggers are doing at mm-hmm. Mifkas. Um and um, so these. Uh, 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 very substantial containers um, um, for growing edibles, mm-hmm. and that's really the best way to do it. Uh, the small ones don't really work terribly well. The big ones, the bigger they are, the, the more effective they are, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Yost House, well, it's a it's a very dramatic affair. Three stories. It has virtually no footings. It has balconies up the top mm-hmm. with these barrels which put so much weight onto the house that no wind can ever budge it. Right. <laughs> so, it is, so it's rather than anchored within the ground. It sits on the ground and is anchored by these wicking barrels. Gosh. And uh, the whole system goes on from there. Look, it's really worthwhile seeing. There's only a few weeks left and then it's got to be dismantled, I think, at the end of April, yeah. uh, if, if my understanding of these stories are right. Um, but there's um, there's a mushroom farm. There's a fish farm. Uh, there's Can you edible. go inside the house? Or yes, yeah. yes. Um, okay. But you need to book, and, the, and mm-hmm. there's tours. 
um, I sat myself down in the kitchen and I was listening to this amazing sound. And I, that's crickets, surely. What are crickets doing in the kitchen? And I was looking around and I, I realised I was sitting next to this um, very elaborate, high-tech um, cricket farm. <laughs> hey, <laughs> and, uh, edible and, crickets, yum, yum. Well, yes, um, as it turned out. Um, but, but I was sitting there and listening to this this. The, they're very joyful creatures, crickets, and um, um, and there was this. It was, it was like a very high tech bucket with the light, which uh, obviously had some effect of keeping the crickets to their little patch, um, which um, and they were gobbling up old kale leaves. And so I put my hand up and asked Yost about the crickets, and he said, "Oh yes, yes, yeah, that's part of the recycling system." Um, we pop them in the fridge for 15 minutes, then they go into the stir-fry. Okay. Oh, yes, Great I thought. Of protein. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually quite sustainable as well. Like well, absolutely sustainable. Sort of That's, uh, yes, I, I, but I, I've just been listening to this chorus of crickets for for about 15 minutes by this stage. So. And then you were eating oh, them. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> cricket sandwich. Mm. There's always more crickets, I suppose. Yeah, beautiful. Craig, what's happening up at Gentiana? Autumn is the feeding season. Mm-hmm. So feeding for? Plants. Oh, good. Okay. It, it, I you it, it's the season when, no, 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 no. The deer get fed lead, <laughs> hopefully. Um, it's the season when you would look at a deciduous tree and say, okay, this tree's going into dormancy, but what's happening under the ground is something very different. They, they are pumping out roots. Yep. The soil's a bit warmer. It's moist. Yep. Yep. And and I think that goes across the spectrum with plants. That the, the autumn is the season when the roots grow, mm. and mm. that's the season for feeding. Yeah. So when you buy a bottle of fertilizer, it will say spring feed in spring. I don't think roots really grow in spring. The ground's cold and wet, mm. so the trees may come into leaf and they may throw out some flowers, but the sustained growth doesn't happen until the soil's warmed up. Mm. Yeah. And of course, a lot of Aussie natives are really starting to get ready for their winter flowering. Yeah, absolutely. I would have thought it would be the same with Australian natives. Yeah. Yeah. So soil temperature is key to plant right. growth. Yeah. Make, yeah. Makes sense, Craig. I love, I love a new way of looking at things. It's, it's, mm. Well, it's, look, there's this, this information. There's no scientific basis. Yeah. It's purely from experience. Every, everyone yeah, just keeps right. doing it. Yeah. Everyone just keeps repeating it. And, yeah. 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 Good and I things. don't think spring's the feeding season at all. Spring's yeah. the season when you just sit back and enjoy things. Mm. But autumn is the season. Well, a it's planting season. Mm-hmm. It's the best time of Definitely year to, to plant anything. Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and it's feeding season. Yep. So, so that's what's happening at Gentiana. Right. And what are you feeding? Oh, Campbell's Organic Life mm-hmm. at the moment. Look, whatever I can get my hands sure. on, as long as it's organic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And how long does it take you to do the whole nursery? The nursery is constantly fed. The garden yep. is a, a slow process. because yeah, sure. you've, you've got to rake back the mulch and. Lay down the fertilizers and put the mulch back on top of them, and yeah. So you do it properly. Yeah. Good on you. I do. <laughs> it's, a, it's an expensive product, you know. You want yeah. to get it buried so that you're not wasting it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And in terms of your garden, I mean, you took over that garden, didn't you, from um, Lois Lucas? Th- that's right. Yeah. yeah. And um, was it called Gentiana then? Yes, Lois named it. Okay. W- wouldn't have been what I call it. Okay, is gentiana yeah. a plant? Yes. Okay. Alpine plants and pretty much impossible to grow. These, <laughs> what does it these look like? Days. What does it look like? 
stunningly blue. Yeah, they're blue. Mm. Yeah, apart mm. from the New Zealanders that are white. So various shades of blue and yeah. big trumpet flowers. As a rule, the, the common one, Gentiana acaulis, which is what everybody wants. The, so the foliage sits on the ground and then it throws up these big blue trumpets. Mm. But Alinda's not Switzerland. I, uh, yes, I, I, I've been driving past Gentiana several times a day for the last 30 years. Yeah. And, and it occurs to me I'm not actually, say, one flowering. Look, I have them there from time to time, but A, they're really slow. So people say to me, oh, I've got a big clump of gentians. And they say, well, how long has it been in your garden? 20 or 30 years. Mm. Yeah, so, so they're difficult to produce. And, and the other thing is that they're sensitive to heat. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're absolute alpine plants, and yeah. you need an alpine meadow and several yeah. thousand metres <laughs> worth of uh, altitude. Yeah, it mm. is possible to grow them, but it's not easy. Yeah. Have you culled any plants or made the decision not to sell them in the last few years? Oh, absolutely, especially yeah. alpine plants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. It, it's time consuming. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and the gentians, sad, you know, it? I had quite a big collection of gentians, and on Black Saturday, I lost. Seventy percent of them. Wow! Mm. Yeah, even in the shade. Whoa! Yeah, mm. yeah, they just cooked. Turned up their mm. toes. Yep. Hey, let's talk. Everyone's bought some uh, plants in, so let's get to some of them. Do you want to talk about a couple of yours? I bought okay. persicarias. Okay. Which is you know autumn. Mhm. Um, and there's such a variety of them, from you know big border perennials to little uh, rock garden plants. Mhm. Um, persicaria. Aphenus, mm. um, which is an autumn flowering persicaria that trails, so it throws up little spikes of pink flowers, mm-hmm. and then at this time of the year the leaves start to colour up from the cool, and the flowers would be at 15, 20 centimetres, and the foliage sits right on the ground. Yeah, Aphenus mm. is lovely. It's yeah. really sweet, but you yeah. need it sort of at the front of the bed, wouldn't you? It's, so it's you great appreciate. for trailing over walls. Is it? Yeah, yeah okay. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and and, and it will root into the walls too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And I think um, we've taken some photos, and these will be up on on the socials a bit mm-hmm. later, so if people want to have a look. That's that is really sweet. Quite. Yeah, Vasinifolium, which is smaller again. So tiny persicaria. Mm-hmm. Oh, so cute. Yeah. <laughs> and the, 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 the vasinifolium is one of those plants that looks horrible in a pot. Mm, yeah. yeah. It's a few of them. Yeah, there is yeah. quite a few of them. So you have to understand what it's going to do in the ground. Yeah. Yeah, to grow it. But it's, it's again, a little tiny little trailing plant. Very pretty. And an autumn flower. Mm-hmm. And then there's the big border ones. Do you grow any of these, Geraldine? Yeah, I've got, I do have a few, yeah. Yeah, these are... Ah, Painter's Palette. Painter's Palette's fantastic, yeah. Morning Sun, mm-hmm. because it's got so much... Uh, that's Painter's Palette. Mm-hmm. Painter's Palette has a little bit of red in the leaf. The big leaves, heavily yeah. variegated. Yeah, heavily variegated. And it's one you grow more for the foliage than the flowers. Yeah. Well, though the flowers look quite good yeah, at this time of the year. Mm. Yeah, and um, cut it to the ground in the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it comes so up what is it, a, a small shrub? Perennial. Yeah, uh, clumping just... perennial. Clumping perennial. Yeah, yeah they okay. don't spread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, morning sun, because it's got so much white, you know, anything with white in the leaf like that doesn't take the afternoon sun. Mm. And glows in the garden. Yeah. Mm. White splendour. 
is a much more irregular variegation without any red in it. And I think it actually gets to be a bigger plant. Uh, again, big soft leaves, red flowers at this time of the year. Long spikes. So is yeah. that, has that flower, is that the flower? Or is it still going to open flower. more? Okay, yeah. so it's yeah. almost like little baubles on a yeah. long stem, mm. really, yeah. isn't it? it? It's an extra mm-hmm. on top of the foliage. Yeah. 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 It contrasts so nicely. Yeah, mm. yeah. They, look, they, they they need a little bit of moisture. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't like to be super dry, but they're not super thirsty either. And they make fantastic tub plants. You get big big clumps of them in a tub. Yep. No. So and what's the what's the fascination with persicarias? Autumn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're good at this time of the year. Yep. Is yeah. Is that not too many things that flower and produce autumn colour in the foliage at the yeah. same time? That's right. And several yeah. of them do. Yeah. And then there's red dragon, which is perhaps a little bit more robust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, in a linda, it will grow in dry shade. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a good plant. Yeah, that's right. Underneath mature trees, yeah. and I mean, it, one of the gardens I work in, I used it under a huge old juniper with acanthus, and it looked really good. Yeah, yeah, and that's dry. Yeah, yeah. Very nice, very yeah. cute, and a little white. Um, it flowers now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. And look, I let it flower. Some people would cut them off for more foliage, but I quite like it. Yeah, mm-hmm. as I said, like, same thing again. Like, the contrast of the white against those yeah. leaves is just gorgeous. Yeah. So nice. And the, the foliage of this one when it's surfacing in spring is intense. Mm. It's really dark. So, Craig, anything that you've got in your garden like this, do you sell? Or yeah. Not? Yeah, you do. So, people yeah. can come in, see it in situ and... Look, you can't see everything in situ because yeah. I just can't Too grow much. everything. Yeah. yeah, but I've road tested everything I sell in the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I can tell you what it's going to do. Yeah. Do you find that these sort of alpine plants and perennials are still popular for gardeners? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so, there's yeah. collectors out there, and then there's yep. people who want colour. Mm-hmm. And and for summer colour, there's nothing surpasses perennials. Yeah, persicarias are right in the sweet spot for the mm-hmm. uh, the new gardening movement. Uh, people off and uh, these people um, uh, growing uh, mass perennials uh, informally and uh, um, antique perennials have quite a uh, at um, uh, King Lake have a good list in their catalogue mm. of persicarias. Mm. Um, more flowering varieties. Yes, I yeah. yes. As, as one I picked up from Antique uh, uh, a few months back, uh, Lilac Squirrel, mm. uh, with glaucous foliage, almost blue, mm-hmm. and, and very dramatic pink flowers, the great tassels that are coming out just now. And, um, they, these, these are very dramatic plants in the, in the um, um, perennial border. Yeah. What about water requirements? Um, yeah, they need a little bit. Yeah, I, I, most of these do need some, mm. um, and but we uh, uh, try not to moisture stress the borders too much. Yeah, yeah, but they're not, not hugely so. Okay. Actually, I was going to talk to both of you about creating a perennial border because they just they're so pretty, mm. and you don't really need a lot a lot of space, do you? So how, how would you sort of go about, if you wanted to create one, how much space would you need? What, what would you do in terms of design and um, learning how to place plants? I think that's something that sort of is tricky for a lot of people. That's a big question. It is a big question, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, so that well, goes off in a lot of directions. <laughs> you, you do need a We've certain amount of space, but uh, yeah. they're, they're ineffective if they're too small. Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, you need depth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so look, I, I, you do need a bit of space. So we're, we're growing them in several different ways. We 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 growing perennials in amongst shrubs. Yep. Um, with uh, shrubs comprising about seventy five percent of the, uh, using seventy five percent of the space, and mm-hmm. then uh, and then the other way around where the perennials. Are, um, you know, 70, 80, 90% of the colour and just a few shrubs which are heavily cut back and kept small. Um, it's a yeah, big subject and, and, and then you have to decide on just, just um, what effect you're after, I suppose, how mm. much space you have. Yeah. Um, I, I prefer uh, growing perennials with some structure, either mm-hmm. with the shrubs or with um, with um, some formal structure. Yeah. But um, yes, the, the thing in America and and uh, Europe at the moment is to grow them in uh, in uh, over extensive areas of the garden with very little structure and just mm. relying on the perennials themselves, the texture and the colours. Yeah. Um, we, we, um, I had the chance to see Peter Aldoff's garden. Um, a few years ago, and and uh, <laughs> in fact, he did have structure in his garden up until the previous year. Uh, but he um, his garden is in Holland, in a very mm. in an area of Holland uh, prone to flooding, and his yew hedges, which provided the structure, actually drowned in a very wet winter. And the day we were there, he was actually burning the remnants of his hedges. And but the garden was magnificent; mm. it was truly astonishing. But you need a big space to do that. Yeah, but that's a, that's, a, that's what he had. No. It, it was a big area, mm. uh, I was and, very and most probably in. Oh, the most uh, well, oh, what area? Most probably about an acre or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with so a nice seventeenth-century barn behind it. That's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Instagram friendly. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> and, these days. and of course, he he does most of his work uh, in public spaces and and yeah. he's and done a lot of gardens planting. in London, for example. Mm. Exactly. I've seen, I've seen some and, of them in London. And, and the High Line in New yeah. York was yeah. one of his projects. The, I've uh, done the, the High Railway. Line in detail. I've <laughs> walked it in detail many times. Fabulous. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. I think his methods are quite interesting as yeah. well, how he, like, you know, a lot of people deadhead and things like that, and he just cuts it all right back and yeah. just, mm. and it looks amazing. It's yeah. wild, it's beautiful. Mm. Yeah, and using plants, going back to persicarias that uh, pay their rent right through the season and mm. really come into their own towards the end of the season That's right. uh, rather than the spring, early summer. Uh, these plants are still uh, um, building up, or, or, or rather, he relies on other plants to provide a little bit of interest in early summer and and late summer. It all comes into its own, mm. and then um, and then the winter effects, of course, which are part of the deal. Yeah, beautiful in the winter. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I think getting back to your question, Abby, soil is the key to good perennials and yeah. soil preparation and yeah. getting it really rich. Yeah, I mean, you, you could say that about literally any yeah. plant, can't mm. you? Yeah. The key is the soil preparation. Yeah. I mean, you're going to be spending money on plants to get that soil happening first. That's right. Or even plant to suit the soil as well is mm. something yep. that I always try and do. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, I'm not going to plant something that, you know, likes a nice, moist, shady area in an area where it's, like, 
doesn't hold any moisture and you know yeah or no nutrients as well nutrients Mm. are obviously a very important part i think some people sometimes forget that yeah but Mm. i mean even in terms of like a lot of australia has got clay soil Mm, that's right really heavy and even just breaking that up to allow for those extra air pockets that the roots can spread into because sometimes you put a plant in it doesn't live but it doesn't die it just Mm. kind of sits there while it settles in for about 12 years before it starts growing Mm. whereas if you get in and cultivate that soil a bit break it over with a fork but get down Mm. on your hands and knees break it up a little bit more it makes Mm. a big difference in terms of growth it's not the fun part like I mean you know when you're starting a new garden you're like right what plants am I putting in you get really excited about spending the money on the pretty plants but it's you know if you want those benefits you need to really fix up the soil first um, and I did that in my new garden where I like had to – so I'm in Brunswick now, so yeah. the soil's very different out here compared to when I was in Lilydale. Yeah. Um, it's actually very well-drained um, mm-hmm. where I am, and it's – I put so much compost in, um, and I just – it was just lacking nutrients essentially. Yeah. I mean, when I first got there, the garden – was just covered in weeds. There was nothing there. So I ripped everything out and my landlord lets me be quite creative. Oh, so I've planted... Sure, that, sure your landlord loves oh, you. Oh, he's very happy. He's very happy. But I planted um, an all-native garden, but I had a um, pollinator focus actually for my garden. So Excellent. for Pleased bees and butterflies, yeah. got an insect hotel. Is and it only natives or are you tucking in the I have mix? put in a little bit of a mix. Yeah. I did put in some echinacea and some lavender as well in mm-hmm. there. Uh, which are some favourites for them. Um, and then also I have my herb and vegetable garden as well on the other side of it. So it's kind of all blended in together a bit. And like we were saying before, how like it's nice to have exotics and natives kind of meeting halfway sometimes. Um, so, yeah, so I've kind of tried to achieve that. But, yeah, the soil out here is so different and even the rainfall out here is so different from when I was living out that way. So I think, you know, me watering out here has been so important and mm-hmm. my housemates have definitely gotten around helping out in the watering system beautiful, as well, which is beautiful. great. You're training them, training them up. <laughs> yes, I've trained them very well. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Hey, Michaela, let's talk about one of the plants that you've brought in. Okay, um, so I actually brought in four, yeah. which obviously um, I have to pick one favourite at the moment. But um, one plant that I've t- – I've, one of the plants that I've been really – I've always loved is Coria alba. But this is Coria alba panosa. <laughs> the prostrate form so it's got lovely textured leaves on it uh it has the same flower as a normal coria alba more of like a star-shaped white flower so this this is really good for underplanting um, underneath trees as well so it can tolerate quite a bit of shade it can tolerate a bit of full sun it can tolerate being really dry um, it likes free draining soils and that grows about 30 centimeters by one meter or so and you can prune it back um, once it's finished its flowering season, but it'll sporadically flower um, outside of its main season anyway, um, which is really great. And then just quickly, another plant that I brought in was Lassiopetalum macrophyllum, the prostrate form, the velvet bush. So that one, thank you. Uh, so this one, I just love the textured leaves on it. I think it is such an underrated plant. Um, the leaves on it, uh, as the name suggests, very velvety, have rusty hairs on them. Um, it, the new growth of the foliage is like a beautiful deep bronze burgundy colour, um, which contrasts nicely against the dark green leaves on it. And it will produce very small flowers on it, little white flowers on it. 
Um, it is such a hardy plant. It can tolerate clay. It can tolerate well-drained soils. Um, once again, I quite like this plant because it's really good to underplant. So mm-hmm. it's like it's about 50 centimetres by 1.5 metres. Um, it does prefer a shadier sort of um, condition but uh, can tolerate a lot. But I just think for me, like a lot of the other plants that I've brought in today, which will be on my socials that you can check out, um, a lot of them I've chosen because of the texture. I think texture is so important when planting in the garden to really showcase everything else but I think it also adds the attention to detail in the garden Mm. um and personally for me like I just I enjoy neutral tones in the garden um and creating textures so um that's pretty much why I love both of those two plants and Coria alba as I said before is a favorite of mine because it's a coastal plant um and coastal plants I have a little soft spot for so um yeah those are two of the plants that I've brought in beautiful I, I had Corrier Alba hedge in my car park for many years oh, it's a fantastic hedging plant but yeah. you know the last the three wet summers that was the end of it yeah that's right yeah so I've actually got Corrier Alba in my garden also just the normal upright form mm-hmm. which can be as we just said like used as a hedge um, but this prostrate form you can keep it in a smaller garden and still get that nice textured leaf and that subtle sort of flower on it and it's an almost all year as i said almost an all year round flower like they'll have a few flowers here and there outside and they're of... pollinator attractive and bird attractive yeah. that's right that's yeah. right so hence why i planted that as mm. well in my garden the little guy make a great hedge well that's right for a, so small a, low, hedge. a low hedge so yeah, even, absolutely even yeah. a border as well yeah. um would be really good for as yeah Mm. Yeah, the thing I love about the Lassia petalums, the velvet bushes, it, people come into the nursery and they either love them or hate them. When they say I've got a, I've got a shady dry spot, yeah. obviously one of the plants is the Lassia petalums and I'm, I'm not sure if you actually mentioned it, but they come in the ground cover, small shrubs right. and the medium shrubs, so sort of up to about two-ish metres. Yeah. And people either go, oh, I love it or nah, hate it. It's just one of those plants. Mm. So. so it naturally occurs um, on the coast in the tablelands of New South Wales. Yep. Um, but, yeah, as you're right, like, I mean, people see this in a pot and just think, oh, it's just plain and leafy and everything, yep. but some people will see that and be like, oh, great you know and especially if you know you're not into like big bright bold colors in the garden sometimes it's nice to find something with a little bit of interest in the foliage yeah yeah it's the contrast between the old leaves and the and the new sheets Mm. is the main thing i feel and Mm. and as ground cover it's quite densely foliage that's right and and it would actually act as the ground cover really well many ground covers that uh, actually let through a lot of light and so that they're not actually ground covers at all yeah. but this yeah. one definitely is I yeah. always think ground cover you know if, if, you're, if you're up in a helicopter eucalyptus regnans is a ground cover <laughs> <laughs> quite a very difficult term to deal with yes. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah well. for sure, yeah. For sure. hey right. Jeremy can you mention thanks Michaela they were great um, could you mention the use baker um, house again Oh, Yo uh, Sparker. Uh, yeah, it's it's a well a sustainable living house. I think I think that there is a title for it, which I I just can't. I, I should have checked. <laughs> uh, we were there about four or five weeks ago, yeah. and um, so it's a it's a it's a small house, yeah. but very vertical. And uh, it's like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, except a 21st century version. So and corrugated iron and steel. It's in Federation yeah. Square, uh, on the edge of Federation Square, running down towards the river. 
uh, really worthwhile having a look at. There the, were lots of enthusiastic people in the tour groups that I saw when I was there the other uh, few weeks back. Um, and oh, so many systems uh, for recycling and, and, and making life sustainable. They're, they're quite experimental, some of them, and, and, uh, and, uh, but all of them effective. Um, yep. Yoast takes this stuff very, very seriously. Sure does, yeah. Beautiful. All right, I'll give out the number again in case anyone wants to call us or text us. Um, this is the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Abby Bishop, and I'm in the studio with Michaela Hamilton from Karanga Native Nursery, Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill Nursery and Gardens, and Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery and Gardens. The number to talk to us on air is 94190155. If you want to text us, it's 0488 809 855. So feel free to give us a call if you've got a uh, perennial question or a native question or you just want to brag about your garden or <laughs> anything like that. Jeremy, let's talk about some of your amazing grasses that you've brought in. Well, I've got a fair old vase full you of the darn things. Um, we pulled well a, a part one section of the garden and during the lockdown, uh, the, 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 one of the first lockdowns, so we're going back to 2020. Here goes, there's been a few of them. Um, and this year it's filling in quite well um, and using... So, so we're uh, deliberately planting out a garden, which is an area of the garden, which is 80, 90, 95% grasses. Um, Graham Stewart Thomas um, died many years ago, but talked about the... The beauty of the reiterated line, Ooh. Um, and um, it's something I've always had in mind with grasses. Used to grow wheat. Wheat's quite a lovely crop, <laughs> mm. and oats and barley. All those things are beautiful. But the um, I, I became interested in grasses back in the seventies. Roger Grounds published a book on ornamental grasses, and came across this thing, and uh, so puzzled by it that I read it cover to cover over the next week or two and started paying attention to the grasses and road verges in Western Australia and collected one or two and tried them in the garden. Um, these are various um, forms of miscanthus and penicetum mm-hmm. and they kind of illustrate the, the strengths and the weaknesses of the grasses. But just staying with the uh, uh, well, the penicetums to begin with... Um, uh, this is uh, the Penicetum allopecoroides moldry. Now, allopecoroides is meant to be a native to Australia, and uh, there has been um, a little bit of work done with um, allopecoroides by one of the big breeders, and we have, I think this is Nafray, um, and... Um, these uh, grasses uh, are clumping. They send up uh, their uh, um, flowering stems to about half a metre, two-thirds of a metre, um, and uh, quite dramatic with the mouldry is a... Um, I wonder how you describe these things. Well, they have uh, like, they're, they're called foxtail grasses, yeah, aren't they? Foxtail or, mm, yeah, foxtail grasses, which is a, with with the Osprey varieties is is pretty effective. Uh, the, this 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 one, uh, the um, flowering, the flowers are around about um, 150 mils and about uh, 
about 25, 30 mils in diameter, and they form cylinders of hairs. The beauty of them is they catch the light. They move with the wind and they catch the light. Mm -hmm. And we planted this garden uh, to catch the afternoon light. Um, Mulberry is wispier and darker, quite different. Um, Now, both of these are meant to be well-behaved. Now, we have to think about this a little bit because one or two of the penicetums are not. Mm. And dare I say, we do use one in the garden, which I will not ever <laughs> uh, sell or uh, and I strongly recommend people don't grow it is Penicetum velosum mm-hmm. um, it's it's one I saw at Sissinghurst um, uh, in the early 80s uh, growing in there in amongst their roses um, with fluffy um, creamy white um, flowers uh, late in the season flowers along with Sedum Autumn Joy um, they, they had those two things together at Sissinghurst but uh, Penicetum velosum has high weed potential in Australia. In fact, I eventually found it growing in a road verge in a, in a uh, road verge in South Perth in Western Australia, <laughs> growing in amongst Kaikuya. Uh, so highly competitive. Mm. Dug a little bit up and planted it in the garden. And when we sold that property, I dug the plant up and burnt it. <laughs> but kept a little bit of it, and we've been growing it. And I discovered that in the dandelions, it doesn't produce very much fertile seed. Mm-hmm. So we can get away with growing it. Um, but it's still seeds, but not 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 excessively for us. But once off the mountain, uh, a few degrees extra warmth and a little bit drier conditions, it would just take off. Yeah. And so that's one to avoid. Um, and um, another penicetum is uh, I have is tall tails, and this is a form of oriental. Um, oriental, which um, I do have the species as well, it comes from Ethiopia, but I'm not too sure what part of Ethiopia because it's a, um, it hardly produces any fertile seed. Um, oriental is a lovely thing with uh, greyish pink um, flowers, uh, flowering for a long time. Tall tails is oriental on steroids it grows instead of growing about 30 centimeters high it grows about uh, well one and a half meters high it's big yep quite big um i think it's crossed with the tropical species um so it's actually a hybrid um i understand uh, tall tails is quite frost sensitive mm-hmm. um, but we we grow quite well i've grown it for four or five years now uh, it's very, very dramatic coming up and flowering for about four or five months with, um, uh, well, again, foxtail flowers, but they're slightly pendulous and uh, and they catch the light and they're pink. Because mm, uh, they all very, have, all the flowers of this lot have a sort of mar- maroon mm, sort of yeah, hue to them, yeah, don't they? Yeah, soft, uh, subtle colours. Yeah. Uh, but all the same, when you have uh, a mass of them, the, the colour is quite uh, quite effective. So tall tails, is, is, what about seeding, Jeremy? Tall tails, yeah, it's, it's seeding a little bit for us and we need more information on this. Mm-hmm. Um, antique perennials of listing it and so we'll just have to get some information on how mm. it's behaving in various places. The same is true for Miscanthus sinensis. Now, this is one I've been working with for, cool, 30 years. Uh, in fact, uh, most of the early varieties imported, the clonal varieties that were brought into Australia, dare I say I brought in myself. 
um, and we grow it and it, it seeds a little bit, mm-hmm. but not, not enough to be a worry. Mm-hmm. It's just the occasional plant, yeah. and it's just a case of, uh, you know, we, we remove 15, 20 plants in a season. That's mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I grow about, I don't know, seven or eight different varieties of this, but the ones I have today are uh, Flamingo, which is one of my old varieties, uh, and that has a strong viscous red flower coming up about... Um, well, almost two metres high, 1.8, forms a great clump of foliage to about 1.2, 1.4 metres, and the flower's up above that again. And each clump uses up about one and a half metres. They're they're low-maintenance plants in that they they fill up an area, um, they flower... That the flowers are at their best in late summer, autumn, uh, and then they they um, and then the winter effect is quite interesting as they um, they're actually herbaceous, mm. so they'll dry off and um, cure during the winter. But uh, all the same, they be that sere winter look is is part of the deal. And then we um, cut them back with a brush cutter mm. in late winter, early spring, just as we start to see a little bit of growth at the base of them. And yep. that's that's it. That's so they're they're actually quite low maintenance plants. For the for the rent that they pay, they they are very, very effective. Yeah. Uh, finally I'll mention Cosmopolitan, which is a really big one that gets up over two metres high. It uh, the, all the sinensis have a tiny bit of variegation in the leaf, a little sort of pale mid rib generally. Mm-hmm. But cosmopolitan has quite a bit of variegation. It's it's a, a much bigger, more dramatic plant. Quite a uh, wide leaf, isn't it? Yes, quite wide leaves. So the the variegation uh, as a big clump of variegated grass is quite dramatic um, as a landscape um, plant. And the flowers uh, coming at this time uh, have quite a big bit of colour in them, a sort of a coppery red. Um, all these things catch the light, and mm. that, that's a critical thing. You, the, you want to plant them somewhere in the garden where they're catching either the morning or the evening light. Yep. It, it doesn't matter, but uh, one or the other. Mm. Um, and um, and they, they, they enjoy open areas and, and catch the wind as well. So you get that movement through the, um, the garden. They work beautifully uh, with um, the big blue salvias, like sag- yep. sagittata. Yeah, you know, big, and, uh, big spear-shaped leaves yeah, and blue and, flowers, and they, they, all of these are reasonably drought tolerant, mm-hmm. including the miscanthus. Although they come from Japan and and China and that area, they they, they seem quite drought tolerant. Um, and we're actually providing a little bit of extra colour using salvias and agastaches mm-hmm. uh, in amongst them, yeah, uh, just to sort of fill up pockets in the earlier part of the season. Yeah, well, so, I, I'm envious because I love, especially miscanthus, I just love, love, love it to bits, but I mm. only grow totally in ditch just because that's what I have to do. <laughs> so I, yes, I live vicariously through everyone in this studio. Yeah, when I was the, 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 the pe- of Alan so you might, you might know something of this, Macaria, but it, it is treated as a native. I was going to say we get lots and lots of customers asking us um, if we have it in stock at all and we, we don't sell it. No. Yeah, there's because a bit of, of a, a bit, potential. Or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Well, it's a bit of a mystery about it. Uh, it, it does occur in New South Wales. Mm. But it's uh, a mystery as to whether it occurred naturally there or well, whether it was brought in. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. The, the, well, the mystery is that it, it occurred in the little um, clearings in forest areas. Um, but my understanding is that it had been growing there for hundreds of years, not, not, not 150 years, but mm. 500, 1,000 years, mm. but maybe not 5,000 20,000 years. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Who, who if knows? it was brought yeah. in, most probably it's brought in by birds yeah. from um, uh, from Eastern Asia where it, uh, where it occurs in quite extensive areas. And so it's, it's, it's it was growing in Australia when Europeans arrived. Yeah. But to be treated as so, a native. Exactly, yeah. yeah mm. the, the, the big problem with it is that years ago people started selling it an African species, Pinacetum cetaceum, <laughs> which, which gave which a bad, bad caused name. huge problems yeah, everywhere. Gave a bad name to all yes, of them. Yeah, and yeah. Um, thinking that the two things were the same thing. Yeah, and they're just mm. not. They're not. Yeah, Alipacoroides is yeah. So whether it's a traitor's native or not is a bit of a. Mm. Question mark. We, we don't sell it, but if we did, it would uh, walk out of the nursery very quickly. Yeah, mm. yeah as beautiful. you say, Michaela, a lot of people ask for it. Yeah. All right, so, we- certainly, Osbury are, are working with it, trying to produce low fertility uh, plants with, with, uh, with not with the uh, with seed which is not sterile. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, sterile seed. Yeah. And these are uh, this is the nephrae which um, I have here. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how these go. There's a number of the, in the series. Yeah, I think if they do manage to come up with one that is 100% sterile, I think um, it'll be extremely mm. popular. Mm. All right, now we should get to some callers. So Sharon from Cheltenham, thank you so much for hanging on, Sharon. Oh, good morning. Uh, look, I bought two um, Westringias yesterday from the nursery, mm-hmm. and when I went to plant one of them... Um, I couldn't get out of the cotton. I thought, oh, I pulled it, finally got it out, but it's just so root-bound. It was, the roots come right up to the top. Mm. And I thought, oh, is this going to grow? I just wondered. Did you buy that? Because we've had a sale recently too. Was that sale stock that you got? Not to my knowledge. No. Um, okay. No. Okay, so um, one thing you can do is just kind of try and uh, tickle the roots a little bit. I mean, Westringias are extremely hardy, um, so I'm yeah. sure if you broke the roots apart a little bit um, and maybe fed it some nutrients, it should be able to come back. Awesome sea salt. Yes, yeah, sea salt. Sea salt would be fantastic. Yeah. Can, can I throw in my ten cents? Absolutely. Cut it back hard. Mm. Get 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 a, a rake. Or a, you know some sort of hand rake and rake the roots out. Yeah, that's kind and, of and plant it. I've never considered root bound to be a problem. Yeah, absolutely. If, if they're dealt with properly. Yeah. If if you put it in a block, then it's probably not going to survive. But if if you mistreat it a little bit, mm, that's why I was suggesting. Yeah, yeah like to, like tear the roots a bit. Yeah, and, and cut just, it back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I couldn't tear the roots with my hands. I was so embedded. So I actually jabbed scissors into them to bring them out. That's all I could do. You need a little rake or a, little, or, or a, little, or a, a pair of secateurs and just yeah. chop, 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 chop yeah. and, and yeah. just break up any circle, yeah. circling roots. Oh, so I probably have done the right thing, but I will see solid. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. no worries. All right, thank you. Now, the other quick question. My neighbours planted a coastal banksia. Mm-hmm. in a garden bed right up against the house. Mm-hmm. And 
Do you think it'll be a problem to the house structure? <clears throat> I think it's on the slab. It it de- it does depend on which one it is. I mean, there's there's Sentinel, there's um, Bermagui, and um, Sentinel will only be sort of two, maybe three meters. But the it's, a, it's an integral foliar banks. Mm. Yeah, if it's a straight one, potentially yes, because yeah. they do oh, they do get really big. Yeah. I, I know because I've got one in the front. Yeah. But there are, as AB was saying, there are different cultivars that will only grow like maybe two metres with a width of maybe 1.3, so their root oh, systems will be a little bit smaller. So, you know, if no, they do have an integrifolia, it could be a dwarf form. Um, so no. it may potentially not be an issue if it is one of those no. smaller ones. <clears throat> it's one that's grown from the seed. We keep getting more through the garden. They grow from a big one next door to me, mm. scatters its seed. And they, I get about eight of them every year grow up in my garden. Yeah. So they, that yeah, okay, he might have to do something about that. Then. Yes. Yeah, just check which, if it is a cultivar one, that's maybe a dwarf one. Banksia integrifolia is, in my opinion, the finest Australian native for bonsai. Yeah, okay. oh, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. I've seen a lot of people do amazing uh, things with it. Uh, okay, so that's interesting because when I've dug them up, because I've popped them up for people... Um, they seem to have a very big taproot. They have proteoid roots. So my experience, I I have never dug one out of the ground, but Mm. I've grown them for bonsai for many, 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 many years, and the root system is very fibrous. Mm. Okay, so they don't mind that being cut. No, they don't. No. They react to root pruning. This is very easy. Yeah, that's interesting because when I dig them up to pop them up for people. I only do it if they're about um, an inch high and you have to take an enormous amount of soil or else if you touch that taproot, they seem to die. Mm. Shifting from the ground to a pot is a very different process than dealing with a pot-grown plant. Yep. Uh, Okay, that's very interesting. Thank you. Mm -hmm. No worries. Good on you, Sharon. Have a good day. Bye for now. Bye-bye. All right, and let's go to Ruth in Bentley East. Hi, Ruth. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's been interesting discussion again. <laughs> Lovely. Um, yeah. Uh, now, my problem is I had to remove a ginkgo, unfortunately, because of Bora. Yesterday, the chap came when I wasn't home to um, grind out the stump, and he spread all the stump mulch over that particular bed would there still be a problem with borer from that stump? Should I rake it all off or I'm not quite sure if it's going to be safe or not? Mm, that, that's that's a tricky one. It's a, sort of a bit hard to know depending on um, obviously if the borer is there and active to the point where you're pulling it out, quite possibly. Um, it does depend on which borer it was. I mean, coming into winter, this might be overwintering now. Um, yeah, that, that, that's a hard question to answer, but also it may not even matter depending on what you decide to put in there in the future. Um, I was, uh, I am thinking because it's, it's a great position in as much as it gets um, sun most of the day and I was thinking along the lines of um, maybe a port wine magnolia or um, I'd love a jacaranda, but 
uh, I just don't know. I've got Australian natives in other parts of the garden and I really wanted something with a perfume uh, on it was insect attracting. So any suggestions? A native one? Anything that gives me something to think about. A little amalgam. Well, yeah, that would be good. Yeah. Also, I was going to suggest maybe Prostanthera, the native mint bush. It's mm-hmm. heavily perfumed. It's very, um, very bee attracting as well. Um, really nice foliage on it, incredibly fast growing. Short lived. Short lived, though. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, no, a friend of mine in Monbolk in her garden has a dwarf form of Eucalyptus citriodora. Oh, sensuous. Which is just Grafted superb. One. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's a really good one. Oh, okay. yeah, that's the Citriodora. Well, it's not eucalyptus anymore. It's Carimbia. Oh, yeah. 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 It's Carimbia Citriodora, yeah. and it's the we have we sell it at work. We've got a, It's the grafted form called Sensuous. So I think yeah. it only grows maybe six meters. Yeah, so and it's sure. it's yeah. the lemon scented gum mm. with a beautiful okay. white bark. Yeah. Oh, okay. Alrighty. Okay, so um, it still leaves me with the question of this mulch. Do I pull it all back? Or Personally, I'd, no. I'd leave it. I'd leave it. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's an issue. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. then I'll just pull it back to treat the soil underneath and then put it back on again. Yeah. Must have broken your heart losing the ginkgo. Oh, don't, uh, don't even go there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm, that's yeah. sad. Yes, yes. All righty. Thanks very much for oh. your suggestions. All right, good on you, Ruth. Thank you. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Uh, And we have Anne who's sent in a text to ask about pruning a hardened berger. Is it a good time to prune it now? Mm. Not if you want flowers in winter. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, probably now would be a great idea. I mean, you could do a really light sort of tip prune if you needed to kind of tame it a bit, but I wouldn't be going hard on it. Mm. So where, where do they make flower buds? Hardened verges. Do you mean as in like is what it part new, of on the, the new tips or is it on old wood or on all of it pretty much? Okay, yeah. So hardened verges come in white, they come in purple, mm-hmm. um, they come in a light pink as well. We also there's many different cultivars of it now, and it's a very very hardy climber as well. Yeah, I, and I, it's also indigenous to Melbourne actually. Hardened verges are violaceae. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, personally, I would be. Um, if if you are willing, depends on why you're pruning it as well. Mm. Um, I've got one which has become really quite woody, and so at, at this time of year, I wouldn't think twice about pruning it back and just letting it regrow again and almost starting from the beginning. Uh, but yeah, you will lose flowers, flowers through winter. So I guess that's the main consideration mm, that you absolutely. have. Absolutely, and like I worked um, in a garden where there was this. Oh, it was maybe six metres long, this whole fence covered in hardenbergia, and I remember we cut it back so hard, but then when it came in winter, it was just like a sea of white. Mm-hmm. So pruning is really beneficial for hardenbergias. So that would indicate that they flower on new wood. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yes, Anne, I guess that's up to you. If, you. if you're happy to lose flowers for this season, then go ahead, and uh, if not then prune judiciously yeah oh. tidy up now and yeah then, and then prune after flowering yeah. if it flowers or if they flower on new wood and you prune now will they make growth before winter oh they'll certainly make growth but it's not going to flower mm. okay yeah. yeah 
Yeah. No, the, the, no the, you'll lose the flowering, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. A, another text from Mary from Mitcham. She says, despite my shady eastern suburbs garden, I persist in trying to grow the beautiful silver princess, eucalyptus, this time in a pot, in as much sun as I can give it. It now has red, it's now had red spots, um, potentially fungi, uh, spreading all over it. We've had a lot of humidity. Uh, Can I use a copper spray on eucalypts or the milk spray? Should I cut the worst of it? It's very young, about a metre high. Mm. <laughs> I, th- I think there's a few things happening which aren't great. The fact that you've got it in shade um, is always going to be an issue. You're always going to have um, trouble with it, with pests and diseases. A tree that's not yeah. healthy is going to succumb more to that. Um, and being in a pot, I mean, they they can be a not a huge tree, of course, but they're one of the trees which I think don't really – um, appreciate pot culture as much. They don't appreciate pot culture as much, but if you wanted it, it could potentially last maybe two years or so. If you had it in a really big pot, really nice, rich, well-drained soil, full sun, mm. um, and you manage the watering adequately yeah. because, I mean, where they naturally occur in Western Australia on granitic plains in really dry areas. So, you know, you need to kind of try and mimic that environment that they originally come from. So, yeah, the humidity will not help um, and also the shadiness, as you said. So, yeah. So what's say if you what's how you root prone them in a pot? Like you lift them out and cut the roots and put them back again. Mm. I mean, people, plenty of people grow eucalypts as bonsai, so, well, so, so there's do. no issue with root pruning. They do, but I think the silver princess have have um, touchy one. Th- yeah, they're not one that does well in a pot. Mm-hmm. There are other uh, eucalypts that do really well in pots, though, um, mm. which I've experimented with. Um, but silver princess, yeah, as AB has said, is a little bit more temperamental, a little bit trickier. Yeah. So mm. I mean, the thing. What you could do, Mary, is just try and improve the health of the plant as much as you can. I would use a seaweed solution regularly, and by regularly, I mean at least once a month. Uh, but I think you're going to be fighting a bit of a losing battle. Enjoy it in somebody else's garden. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Grow something else. Yeah, because it'll always look a bit sort of, mm. yeah. Under a the suggestion weather. if you, I mean, you know, it's not going to be the same as the silver princess obviously but what i found to grow quite successfully in a pot is eucalyptus preciana um the bell-fruited mallee which has gorgeous textured leaves um really nice and bushy and if you can get it to flower in a pot it has really bright big uh yellow flowers on it and i find that that's a little bit more tolerant of melbourne's climate and conditions Mm. um, because it's more south WA, um, and then also eucalyptus uh, porciflora subspecies nifophila. So it's like a type of snow gum that grows in the alpine regions. Um, that grows fantastically in a pot. It, we've got um, examples of it in our nursery where we've had it in a pot for years and years, and we've just kept it nice and small. And that's not even trimming the roots or anything. That oh, it so will it's just, been in the same pot. It's same pot. It will just it just adapts. Oh, it just adapts so well. So. Oh. That's a great alternative for a eucalyptus in a pot for sure. And as I said before, like eucalypts are probably one of my main passions. And, you know, um, I think that it's great that you can still have a eucalypt in a small suburban backyard, but just keep it in a pot um, and you can really experiment with that and also plant other things around it too. Mm. Um, Yeah. 
I had eucalypts in my garden in fourth grade, the little ones, yeah. as a light shade cover for a perennial garden. Nice. Yes. Because they provide that perfect shade in, yeah. a, hot, in a hot climate. Yeah, definitely. That was Praesiana. Yeah. And there was another one I was using. Lecoxin rosea. Oh, that's oh, a fantastic yep. Yuki yeah. dwarf. Yeah. That cultivar that's, that was dwarf form. Dwarf, yes, that's yeah. excellent. It's often planted as a street tree as well. Mm-hmm. It's it's highly adaptable. It's extremely bird attracting. Mm. It has interesting bark, bright hot pink flowers on it. It's a it's a great plant. It's mm. a great tree. Mm. Silver Princess is from around Kalgoorlie, is, is my mm. understanding, and, and it's you know it's similar to Broken Hill. Or, <laughs> it's very hot. Difficult mm. climate. Mm. Um, uh, how about the gimlets? Have you any experience with the gimlets in uh, Melbourne conditions? Oh, I, mm, I think that I think Melton Botanical Gardens they potentially would have a specimen there. Maybe what is the gimlet? The gimlet. Oh, like they're, they're, they're one of the most stunning trees. You, uh, the, uh, of all the eucalypts, it's one of the great ones. They're but bust. it's a small. Um, um, was it was salubrious, I think. Um, but it comes from the eastern wheat belt, but a little bit closer to the coast. Mm. Um, uh, the, the, it has fluted trunks, um, deep uh, cinnamon, rusty oh, yeah, bark, rusty and, bark and, but dappled, yeah. dappled bark and, and uh, rather interesting foliage as well. It's just mm. unearthly, that thing. And it's quite a small tree, mm. but... It, from a very dry area again, but not as dry as Kalgoorlie and a little bit cooler. Mm. Yep. Well, see, so in the nursery where you do sell a lot of um, eucalypts, a lot of, um, like we do sell Silver Princess, Prisciana, a few other sort of specialised small eucalypts, and we try to mainly sell them in the warmer months because, as we know in Mount Evelyn, how cold it can get there. So we kind of, this is our main season where we'll sort of really up our stock of um, those sorts of specimens. Um, but... Yeah, you can do so much with eucalypts in the garden. And actually, since I've moved um, out Brunswick Way, one thing that I love looking at is all the diverse gardens here. And I found some hidden gems out here. Like I saw a eucalyptus forestiana, the fuchsia gum flat. Like it was unreal. I actually had it because, as I said, like the climate out here is so different. It's drier, the soils are more well-drained. So it's really interesting seeing people grow these specimens in their garden that are sometimes more difficult to grow from... Um, more outer in the east for yeah. sure and and it's always great to see plants in situ rather than just in pots at the nursery oh, and yes. see what they've done and what the environment is like and yeah yeah it's fantastic but i should actually just i just wanted to give mary another suggestion in terms of a plant for a mm. pot if you if you wanted that sort of weepy habit a, a lovely small tree almost a large shrub small tree is the um myoporum floribundum which is um called the weeping myoporum so that would get probably to about two and a half meters and it sort of acts like a small tree and it is very weepy and it has really long leaves and then gorgeous white flowers the whole way along the stems uh that's that's a really nice one for those sort of partly shaded conditions we we had a specimen at our work and when it flowered oh my goodness Mm. it looked like it was just covered in snow like the flowers were just unreal and the shape of the tree too is beautiful like you can pleach the base of it and make a real traditional like almost christmas tree 
sort of shaped form on it um, and do maybe do some underplanting around it. But, yeah, excellent for a pot. Great suggestion. It is, yeah. Uh, Craig, any more plants that you wish to mention? Any more persicarias hanging out there? No, the persicarias are all gone. Of of course it's cyclamen season or the beginning of cyclamen season. Mm. And this one's Africanum. Africanum. Oh, so sweet. You could be mistaken Mm. for thinking it's hedrofolium, but for the expert eye, it's actually quite different. Mm -hmm. Um, The flowers come straight up off the tuber. They don't spread out under the mulch and sort of make drifts. Um, And the leaves are big and fleshy, Mm. um, twice the size of hedrofolium leaves, and very long-lived. It makes enormous tubers. The, the, this tuber, the, the, this flower came off would be uh, set 25 centimetres across. Mm. Yeah. I was going to say, I actually checked out your website uh, and I saw that you had an article on cyclamens. Like, mm-hmm. what could you t- say some of the maybe the main points of like looking after cyclamens? They're Mediterranean so, plants, so they love our climate. Mm, okay. you know, they like a dry summer. Mm, yeah. 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 And I have them flowering all year round, one, mm. one species or another. Yeah. Yep. How would you suggest keeping them indoors? Because I, no. know, I know people, florists definitely sell them quite often. Mm. You, no, it's not a long Oh, that's idea. cyclamen persicum. Okay. It, it's, it, it's short-lived anyway. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So put it inside and enjoy it and then chuck it out. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. But the species persicum is beautiful, mm. which nobody grows and well, yeah. well suited to Melbourne climate. Okay. Yeah. And perfumed. Mm. Beautiful. And the other one I've got here is Impatens omiense. Do you grow that? Generally? No. Okay. It's a tuberous impatien, so it goes down in the winter, spreads like crazy if you get it in the right spot. So it needs a bit of moisture and autumn flowering orange. So the leaf has a white midrib. Flowers are a sort of an apricot colour and a parrot beak type rather than your busy lizzy one. Yeah, yeah. reasonably showy. Yeah, quite showy. Well, the leaf's beautiful. Doesn't yeah. need to flower. Yeah. Mm. But boy, I've got it in a moist part of the garden where everything drains into this patch and it's rampant. Mm. Other parts that are dry, not so much. Mm. Impatience on the ends. Nice tub plant too. It um, doesn't like being chopped. Doesn't like it being chopped. <laughs> yeah, 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 not yeah. a vase plant. Yeah, no, Defi- not a cut plant. Definitely not a cut plant. Mm. Hey, um, one of the things that Mary with the Silver Princess asked, which I failed to answer, uh, was can she use a, a copper fungicide spray on it? Um, I mean, yes, potentially. I, I would maybe take a, a leaf into a nursery just to double check mm. that it is actually a fungus going on and not something else happening. Always really try and positively ID whatever you're mm. doing so that whatever you're spraying is actually going to be effective. Would overwatering um, cause that? Potentially, but yeah. I, I think that being in a pot, being in the shade... Mm. It's yeah. Mm. It's, all of those things are, are certainly not helping. Um, and we've got another um, couple of questions. Uh, we lost a twenty-year-old uh, tea tree burgundy queen. Uh, that's one of the scopariums. Mm. It was stunning in flower. That's one of the ones with the pink flowers. Uh, should I replace it if it's still available, or are there other equally or better varieties from Philip? Well, there's so many. 
Mm, there's so many. Um, we have, yeah, we've got a big range at Karanga um, in terms of uh, leptospermum. So, like, we've even got one of my personal favourites is Copper Crest or Copper Glow, like that beautiful deep burgundy foliage and um, those contrasting beautiful white flowers. Um, yeah, we'd, we'd be happy to help give you some suggestions um, at the nursery, but we've got heaps of stock to choose from. Yeah, mm. and if, yeah. You, if you want the pink flowers, Philip, you're going to be going down a size pretty yeah. much. Rudolph. Um, Rudolph, Rudolph, lipstick. Um, th- there's a bunch. Mesmerise. Yeah. Mesmerise is a great one. <laughs> Terrible names, but yeah. they, so, they sort of match the <laughs> loud uh, nature of the yes. flowers. Actually, okay. one, it's a smaller... Leptospermum, but Leptospermum marinda is unreal. Yeah. Like when that comes into flower in the nursery, it Everyone just walks it. out yeah. the door. It's totally. like, um, it's a pretty, it's a hot, like bright, hot pink um, flower. Um, and when it comes out, the bees just go bananas over it. It's it's great. Yeah, any of those leptos really high in uh, nectar? Yeah. Can I just come back to the fungicide? Yeah, yeah, go I for it. I hate it. Great. Okay, yeah. Don't use it. Don't use it. Okay, Anything good. that gets fungus gets yeah. chucked out and okay. I'll grow something else. And I like because, that. Because you're killing soil fungus, which yeah. is fundamental mm, to yeah. your garden. That's true. Yeah. But it is in a pot. It's still, you're spraying yeah. it around. It's yeah. going. It's going yeah. to end up in the soil. I mean, I'm I'm in that um, area yeah. myself. I don't yeah. use it, especially like on fruit trees. I don't use no. it at all now, just because of the soil fungi. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So Priscilla from Malvern East, she's got some self-seeded euphorbia wolfenii. Uh, can she put them in a pot? Can she dig them up uh, and grow them in a pot? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think so. Be, yes. mm. yeah. Yeah. You have to watch your watering with, with that sort of thing. Yeah. Overwater them and they're dead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, good to know. Put them in a small pot yeah. and then move them up slowly. Yeah, cool. All right, well, we've got another five minutes only. The time always goes so quickly. Is, no. um, Michaela, have you got another plant you wanted to mm, talk yes. about? All right. Yes, yes, yes. Go okay, I've it. got to choose between... The Kangaroo Island Spiridium and the Pymelia nivea. I'll go Pymelia nivea. Pymelia nivea? Yeah. Okay. All right. So now I, once again, I'm drawn to the textures. So Pymelia nivea, it's, uh, it almost looks like stalks with little round glossy leaves on them and they get a, like a bunching form of white flowers around it, which are slightly scented actually. Um, so it's actually endemic to Tasmania. Um, it grows about 1.5 metres by 1 metre. It's an excellent cut flower for foliage. I've actually found um, florist, uh, the floristry industry um, does often use it. Um, so it generally can tolerate uh, full sun with a bit of afternoon shade. Uh, well-drained soils preferably with like a little bit of moisture. So moist, well-drained soils essentially. Um yeah, I, that's one of my absolute favourites. It flowers uh, spring to summer, ma- mainly like late sort of spring. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've actually got it growing in the nursery as a specimen. We've got uh, like a rock retaining wall sort of, and it's growing like out. It's just seeded and growing out the side of it. The self-seeding, is it? Yeah, yeah. So it, it grew out the side of it. Um but, yeah, it's beautiful. I really love that one. It's unusual and it's one of those plants. It's really strange. It looks good year-round and people come in and buy it simply because it is growing in a weird place. That's and right. And looks, yeah. And I actually textual. saw it um, I walk, in my area. I walked past a garden and actually saw it growing there. 
naturally, which was really great to see because I actually haven't seen it often uh, grown in gardens. And um, it just, it looked fantastic. It's a very upright um, sort of shrub. Um, I will quickly touch on the spiridium though, yep, if that's okay. Go for it. Yep. Um, so I'll just grab it. I love these things. Oh, I love yeah. spiridiums. Yeah. They come in so many shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. They are so hardy. So one, this one's one of my personal favorites. It's the um, spiridium kangaroo island form. Um, so it's got. It's very fine and very delicate, and the flowers are very sort of insignificant. So like the white petals surrounding the flower are actually floral leaves designed to attract pollinating insects. Mm-hmm. Uh, it grows about 80 by 80 centimetres. We have it growing in the nursery. That's where I first saw it. And I saw it contrasted next to a verticordia and looked gorgeous. I And a lot of customers will see that combination and always put on order to get both. Um, we don't have it too often and at the moment we've got plenty of it. So I was really happy to get that. But yeah, it's just um, it's bro- it's how do I explain it? It's like got beautiful bronze sort of textures on the stems. It's got that grey wash sort of leaf on it. Um, it's, it tolerates a lot of dryness. Um, it's endemic to Kangaroo Island in South Australia, obviously by its name. Uh, full sun, partial sort of shade. Um, but you need really, really nice, well-drained soils for mm-hmm. this specimen. Um, but there's a lot of other types of spirodiums that are great. There are some that are ground covers, which are excellent for underplantings under trees and things like that. Um, and, yeah, I just think they're a great texture plant. All the plants I've suggested today are. Um, and as I mentioned before, on my socials I've made a post and written all the names of them all, and I'll be doing more posts about each plant individually for more information on it Beautiful. Too. And oh. what is your Instagram? Uh, my Instagram is uh, Regal Regnans, um, so that'll be on 3CR's Instagram also. Um, Regnans, obviously, because of Eucalyptus Regnans, mm-hmm. Mount Dandenong Ranges, yep. Um, yeah, so those those are all the plants I um, brought in today, and it was a very, very tough choice to limit myself because <laughs> we have so many beautiful plants at the moment. We've all done an amazing job. So, guys, I'd like to um, thank you so much for coming in. We had Craig Wilson from Gentiana. I assume, Gentiana, are you open today? Absolutely. Oh, look, I'm going to have a short break in the middle of the day when the Herb Society's at Longacres. Oh, lovely. Yeah, but, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah, fantastic. Otherwise, I'll be there. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, Craig, for coming in. Thank, thank you, you. Michaela Hamilton from Karanga. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And um, Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill. Again, always a pleasure and hope everything's going well at Cloud Uh, Hill. Thank you. Though everyone come to the hills, the autumn colours just starting to appear. It's going to be a brilliant year. Yeah, it looks like a lovely season, a lovely autumn coming up. Autumn is so good, isn't it? Yeah, so nice just to have that uh, respite and yeah, yeah, time to get into the autumn colour. The best season. The best season, totally. All right, also like to thank. Liz, our producer, thanks so much for all your hard work with everything. And um, until next week, I'm A.B. Bishop signing off for now. Goodbye.